You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. So there are a few things that every single person in this room and listening to this online will experience in life, but life itself did very, very little to prepare you for, okay? Some of them are funny and awkward, right? Like when you run into someone at Target and they remember your name, but you don't remember their name. Anybody have like a go-to, like what you call them? Uh, Anybody? Anybody? Randall, what do you call them? Pal? Buddy? Hey, hey! Does it go higher? Does your voice go higher? Hey! Another thing that will happen to every single one of us that you won't be prepared for is also when you go out to shake a hand or wave at someone and they don't see that you were doing that, right? You ever done this before? You're at a party? Hey! (laughs) I'll keep that one. And some experiences are more serious. Every single person listening to this, uh, or again, tuning in online, uh, if you've not already, uh, you will go through uh, an experience of grief. And you'll find out really, really quickly just how ill-prepared so many of us are on this topic. In fact, I would argue that most of us, myself included, most of us don't have an understanding of what grief is or when it's actually happening. Most of us, when we think of grief, we have a very narrow understanding. Grief is, it's always associated with death. It's when someone passes away. But actually, I would argue it's a lot broader than that. It's a lot broader than that. Here's sort of the equation I've been working with. Grief, for me, happens this way. Any and every time you and I go through some kind of change, any type of change, always with change, there is loss. Any and every time you and I go through loss, we go through grief. And so what you can see, if this is our operating definition, is that grief is actually a lot wider, right? It's a lot broader. That, yes, you can go through grief when someone close to you dies or succumbs to a disease, but you can also go through grief any and every time something that should have happened in your life, something that ought to have happened in your life, didn't. And so over the course of the next several weeks, uh, next couple weeks, rather, uh, we're going to talk about this. This is actually our schedule for the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about the different forms of grief that any and every one of us experience in this life today. We're going to talk about probably the most common form of grief that most of us are aware of, which is whenever we lose somebody. But next week, I think this is going to be really, really helpful because uh, just to be a human in the last couple of years, you've lost some plan, some dream, something that you thought should have or could have happened to you, for you. And I just want to say this here at the onset. Um, I'm not sure uh, where you, every single person who's listening to this or uh, every person who's here in the uh, worship today, I'm not sure where you are in your relationship with church, but I always feel a responsibility whenever we broach this conversation to say that, and just admit that uh, grief is not a subject that the church that Christianity has always done right by, okay? I just want to pause for a moment and own that uh, collectively. 
I think one of the things that you and I are exposed to every time we come into places like this is churches are typically uh, places of positivity, right? We talk about hope. We talk about resurrection. We talk about new life. And all of those are really, really, really good things. However, sometimes we can talk about them and emphasize them so much so that we cause people to question whether or not there's a place for them or whether or not this Christian faith has anything helpful to say when you're going through seasons full of death, grief, pain, and loss. But the good news is that daggummit it does. And it's got a lot to say. Let's dig in. So if you have your Bibles with you, or again, if you're watching this online, you have a smart device or something nearby, and you want to follow along with our scripture passage for today, a couple of moments ago, you heard Katie read our passage. Uh, It's from John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And uh, the Gospel of John is one of the books of the Bible dedicated to recounting and retelling the story of Jesus' life and his ministry here on earth. And uh, to give you a little bit of a summary, a little bit of a summary of the story and what's transpired, is uh, we learn that uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus has a good friend, good friend named Lazarus, okay? They're BFF. They share the same tunic guy, okay? They go to the same sandals guy, okay? So they're really good buds. They're really close. And we learn in the story that some way, somehow, Lazarus becomes ill, And so what Lazarus' family does is they send family members, they send messengers out to Jesus, and they say, yo, go tell Jesus. We've seen him heal some folks. Like, go tell Jesus that Lazarus, his buddy, is sick. But Jesus is busy, right? He's healing. He's preaching sermons. He's performing miracles. He's doing all of these various things. And so the story goes that Jesus is a little bit slow making it back to the hometown to see Lazarus. And while he's en route... Lazarus dies. There's a really powerful scene uh, that here transpires in uh, John chapter 11 where when Jesus arrives and he learns that Lazarus is dead, he cries. It's the first, one of the only glimpses we get of our Savior, our Messiah, weeping. It says, actually, it goes on to say that uh, Jesus was deeply disturbed by what happened to his friend. In a word, Jesus is experiencing grief, right? Now, I wanna go ahead and answer a question that might be on some of your minds, especially those of you who've read this story before. Because some of you who've read this story before, you're kind of thinking to yourself, and there's a question mulling around your brain going, but like, why? Why is Jesus crying because, like, two minutes later, he raises Lazarus from the dead? Like, why would you be grieving? Why would you be upset about that when in just a a moment later, you're going to fix it? This was every single parent's dilemma on Halloween, right? So every single time, uh, my child, my uh, my youngest child loves Skittles. And for the life of me, I don't understand. But the way he opens Skittles is like a samurai ninja. It's always like... And what happens to the Skittles? They fly all over the daggum road. And so he starts bitterly crying, and I was like, dude, we're going to get seven more bags at that house. Like, let's just chill out for a minute. It's going to be all right. And so similarly, you read this story. If you've read this story, you're familiar with the story at all, you read this and you go, like, how? Like, why? He's going to raise him from the dead in five seconds. Like, why is he crying? And what I would suggest to you 
is that maybe the reason why Jesus is crying and weeping, he's greatly disturbed, is because Jesus did not know that was going to happen. How do I know that? Well, there's a couple of passages that teach us a little bit about Jesus' state while he was on earth. For example, number one, did you know that Jesus, while he was on earth, while he was in a human body, there were certain divine privileges, there were certain divine gifts that he had prior to the incarnation that he would assume again after the incarnation, but during the incarnation, he did not have. Philippians chapter 2 says it this way. So Paul writes that uh, Jesus experienced the Greek word kenosis. He emptied himself of divine privileges. So, okay, these are a lot of big fancy seminary words. What do those mean? So, for example, Jesus, while he was on earth, was not omnipresent. He wasn't in all places all the time. He was in a singular body, right? Another example of this is a Jesus on earth, there seems to suggest there's some moments where he doesn't know all things like he used to. What, is, what happens when his disciples come to him and they say, hey, like Jesus, like when's the end of the world coming? What does Jesus say? I don't know. That only the Father knows the day, the hour, when these events will transpire. We also know that Jesus seems to be living in a very limited way while he's here on earth in the, event, the things that he can do Right? It says in John chapter 5, a couple chapters earlier from our passages for today, Jesus says this. He says, I can only do what I see the Father doing. I can only do what's commanded of me of my Father. So where am I getting at? This is a really powerful thing to lift up and observe in the Gospels because what this means is that while Jesus was here on earth, he was truly like us. He felt the limitations that we feel. And so when he walks into town and he's confronted with the news that one of his best friends has died, Jesus feels three things, three things. Number one, he feels uncertainty. Maybe for the first time, uncertainty. God, like what happened? Like I know they told me he was sick, but like I, and I why didn't he get better? Like why, God, why, Father, why didn't, why didn't you heal him? Like, why? Like, I was, what's going on? Guilt. You might not have caught this in the passage, but uh, did you know that, did you notice that right when Jesus walks into town, he gets ripped apart by Lazarus' family members? Bro, where you been? Had you come earlier? My brother wouldn't be dead. Do you have better stuff to do with your time? You ever talk to God in this way? Where you been? We had an issue here. Where you been? And then thirdly and finally, grief. Jesus is overcome with the feeling of losing someone that had a piece of his heart. I don't know about you, but I need my Savior to know that to know that experience, to have felt those feelings. If I'm going to entrust my entire life to following this person, I need to know he knows a little something about what we're going through. And maybe that's you today. Maybe, maybe it's not you today. Maybe it's been you, though. You know all of those things. Maybe for you, you felt that 
uncertainty around someone in your life that you deeply care about. Maybe for you, you carry guilt that goes along with it. Or maybe you just come into the space, you tune into this message, and you're saying to yourself, holy cow, I have so much unresolved grief for that person who died. Or maybe for you, it's a person who is actively dying. Did you know this is something, there's a term for this. It's called anticipatory grief. You can actually go through grief while someone is about to pass. Maybe for you, the grief that you're going through isn't death-related, uh, but it's disease-related. Some of you have family members, you have friends who they're still physically here, but because of the disease that they've succumbed to, Alzheimer's, dementia, the person that you knew, the person that you loved, has been snatched away from you. Or maybe for you, it's not death or disease at all. Maybe for you, it's a divorce. Maybe it was a breakup. Maybe it was a falling out with a really, really good friend, someone who meant the world to you, and then something, some way, somehow transpired, and now they're not in your life anymore. And they left a hole. They left you feeling incomplete. And odds are, when and not if, but when you and I experience these things, you and I respond in one of these ways, right? So you're, we're all been exposed to this list at some point, at some place, somewhere. This is the uh, Kubler-Ross five stages of grief. However, I, stages is a little, bit, uh, a little bit of a misnomer because it leads you to kind of believe that these are like sequential chronological stages. Like when something happens, I'm gonna go through denial, and I'm gonna be angry, and then I'm gonna, that's not necessarily the way it works. I think I, a more accurate way to look at these is to say the five responses of grief that when you and I go through grief, we find ourselves doing, ex responding in one of these ways. Now, some of you, um, I'll, I'll say this, uh, most of us in this room, uh, we're very, very familiar with the first four, aren't we? Got a lot of history with the first four, right? Maybe there's one of those that's like your favorite. You're like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. I love a good anger fest. That's right, baby. Or maybe it's depression. Maybe for you, that's the place you go. It's like sad music all the time. All the, like that's your, that's your go-to sort of response. And I want to say something to you that um, I hope comes out very, very clearly. Um, to respond to our grief in any one of the first four ways is not wrong. It's not wrong. So long as you're not hurting yourself or hurting anyone else, it's not wrong. It's part of the process. And so I want to say something very, very clearly that some of you may be in your journey with grief in one of these earlier places where you're still in one of those first four and you're listening to me and you're like, yeah, and I ain't got no plans to leave that response yet. Like, I'm angry right now. When I leave this building, I'm still going to be ticked off. Like, I don't care what that dude says. And that's fine. That's actually totally, totally fine. You may not be ready to move to acceptance yet. And I want you to hear very clearly from me that that's not wrong, and God doesn't leave you when you respond to your grief in any one of those first four ways. What does Psalm 139 says? I can go up to heaven, or I can make my bed in the grave, and even there you find me. And so, uh, if you're listening to this online, by the way, if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, I don't actually don't have any plans of moving to acceptance today, that's fine. You can turn this off, actually, and move on with your day and come back to this when you are ready. Uh, but what we're going to do with the rest of our time today, 
what we're going to do with the rest of our time is we're going to move to acceptance. And we're going to talk about, for those of us who are ready, only if and when you are ready, what are some helpful ways, what are some helpful tips for us to move to this place of acceptance? Okay? The first of which is this. If and when you're ready, if and when you're ready, the first piece of advice, the first tip and guidance uh, that uh, I can offer you, that we as a faith community can offer you, is that when you're ready to move to a place of acceptance, number one, you got to stop running. you got to stop running. Now, why do I say it that way? Because what is our number one defense mechanism when we are going through grief? We stay busy. Our dad passes away. We go through a divorce. Two days later, we're back to work. We're back to doing the things that we were doing before. Why? Because I don't want to think about it. More accurately, I don't want to feel it. Here's the only problem with that. The only problem with that is that when you bury your unresolved emotions, they don't die. You just bury them alive. Freud had this really, really helpful quote where he used to say this. He used to say, unexpressed emotions never die. They just come out in much uglier ways. You seen this in your life before? You seen it bubble up in, on the wrong person? Maybe it's your kids, maybe it's a coworker. It has to get out. The question is, where and with whom? The second thing I always coach people to do when they're ready to move to that place of acceptance is to stop running, stop hiding. And number two, find ways to bring it out. Find ways to bring it forward, right? We become so good, so much we're professionals at burying the grief and the loss and the feelings. And you've got to find ways. Everybody's got to find their own strategies for bringing it forward, bringing it out so that you can examine it, you can feel it, you can process it. And guess what? This is different for every single person in this room. For some of you, this is talking to somebody. This is talking to a therapist. This is talking to a counselor. This is talking to a really good friend. This is talking to a mentor. For others, this is listening to music that you guys used to listen to, uh, watching movies, or maybe it's writing a letter to this person, or maybe with the holidays coming up, For you, maybe grief is establishing a new ritual, a new tradition that keeps their memory alive. I have a hilarious story about this because, friends, they don't always have to be super formal and stuffy. I have a friend of mine who a couple of years ago, they lost uh, his grandfather. His grandfather was like the patriarch of the family. And they made this moment on Christmas Eve where they were going to just sort of go around and, like, have, like, a moment of, like, let's all share stories about Stu and things that Stu did that we loved and we appreciated. And the grandmother is just, like, super, that's her, like, just very formal, just very reserved. She's like, let's all have a moment, okay? I think she sang a song uh, by Celine Dion or something. It was very awkward. He said... But everyone goes around, and they're sort of sharing these things, and they're all super formal. They're super serious. And this is totally my friend. My friend goes, "Uh, so uh, I have something. And they're all, you know, what? What, Johnny? What? He goes, "Um, 
I would like to uh, bring forth uh, Grandpa's favorite Christmas decoration. They're like, oh, what? What was it? Like an ornament or like something that the, one of the grandkids made? He goes, no, farting Santa. the finger and he goes, do you smell what I smell? <laughs> but here's what's so powerful. He said in a moment that goes, the room was so tense, it was so serious. He said, but what happened was the laughter gave rise to tears that gave, laugh, that gave room for more laughter and more tears. And one of the family members approached him and they said, uh, that was the most healing moment of Christmas Eve that we had. So you gotta just find ways. You gotta find your own strategies to bring it forward, to bring it out. The third thing I encourage people to do who are ready for acceptance, they're, they're moving through their journey and their pattern of grief. The third thing I encourage uh, folks to know and to remember and to acknowledge is that what you're setting out on whenever you are setting out on a journey of grief is you are setting out on exactly that, a journey, right? This is a trip. This is not like fixing a tire. It's not something you go and do really fast and then you're done with it. Grief is a journey, a really long one too. It's not quick, it's not convenient, and you can't rush it. Even if your brain tries to rush it, like, okay, just like think it, feel it, like let's move on. Like even if your brain is trying to rush it, your heart won't allow you to. And so you need to accept and acknowledge that this is gonna be a journey, this is gonna be a part of your life for a while. Now, here's the good news, here's the good news. The good news is, is that the weight of grief that you feel gets lighter, gets lighter. Pastor Amanda and I were talking about this earlier this week and she came across this graphic on social media. She loved it and I love it even more. It's like this beautiful, beautiful depiction of the journey of grief. And many of you know this to be true. When you first were going through grief, it was like the weight of the world was crushing your entire self. But the good news is that in time, it becomes lighter. It doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. But it becomes lighter. And here's the other good news. The longer you go through a healthy process of grief, the more you begin to encounter not only a lightening of the load, but joy. What does the scripture say? For pain comes in the night, but joy comes in the morning. Right? And this happens the longer you go through this process. And that leads me to the fourth and final thing that I encourage folks to do and I encourage you to do when you're in this, you're working through this, you're working and processing your own grief. The fourth and final thing that I wanna encourage you to do that I wanna sort of advise you to do if I even can do that is fourthly and finally, allow joy in at a pace that you can withstand, okay? Allow joy to seep into your life at a pace you can withstand. Now, key words, at a pace you can, you, you can withstand. 
not your friends and family members. Why aren't you, like, happier now? Like, why can't you? Not, not their pace. Not the other people's pace who are, like, felt it for five minutes, moved on with their life, and now they seem fine at a pace you can't withstand. Because if and when you do that, it will come. It will come. I love this uh, quote from Anne Lamott. She narrates, uh, she says, um, this is the best sort of articulation of grief in my own grief, in my own life. She says this, she says, again, it never goes away. It never leaves. But she says, when you lose someone that you can't live without and your heart will be badly broken, the bad news is that you never completely get over the loss of your beloved. How could you? How could you? But this is also the good news, that they live forever in your broken heart that doesn't seal back up. And you come through. It's like, how, this is my favorite part, it's like having a broken leg that never heals perfectly. It still hurts when the weather gets cold, but you learn how to dance with a limp. I'll close here. Friends, what I love so much about that quote, what I love so much about that statement, is that it acknowledges that the pain of your and my grief never fully goes away. How could it? Any of you Marvel fans out there, do you remember this quote from WandaVision? It was one of my favorites of the entire series. What is grief if not love persevering? What is grief if not love with no place to go? And so, friends, I want to encourage you that by no stretch of the imagination uh, did what I share with you today supply you with a perfect four-step plan for how to make yourself not sad anymore. Nah. If the people that you and I lose mean anything to us, there will be a part of your heart that always hurts until the day when that love can be reunited with its object, with its recipient. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.